Section 9 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 2, Jewish Heroes and Prophets, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. David, Part 1. 1055 to 1015 B.C. Israelitish Conquests. Considering how much has been written about David in all the nations of Christendom, and how familiar Christian people are with his life and writings, it would seem presumptuous to attempt a lecture on this remarkable man, especially since it is impossible to add anything essentially new to the subject. The utmost that I can do is to select, condense, and rearrange from the enormous quantity of matter which learned and eloquent writers have already furnished. The warrior king who conquered the enemies of Israel in a dark and desponding period, the sagacious statesman who gave unity to its various tribes and formed them into a powerful monarchy, the matchless poet who bequeathed to all ages a lofty and beautiful psalmody, the saint who with all his backslidings and inconsistencies was a man after God's own heart, is well worthy of our study. David was the most illustrious of all the kings of whom the Jewish nation was proud, and was a striking type of a good man, occasionally enslaved by sin, yet breaking its bonds and rising above subsequent temptations to a higher plane of goodness. A man so elevated, with almost every virtue which makes a man beloved, and yet with defects which will forever stain his memory, cannot easily be portrayed. What character in history presents such wide contradictions? What career was ever more varied? What recorded experiences are more interesting and instructive? A life of heroism, of adventures, of triumphs, of humiliations, of outward and inward conflicts. Who ever loved and hated with more intensity than David? Tender yet fierce, brave yet weak, magnanimous yet unrelenting, exultant yet sad, committing crimes yet triumphantly rising after disgraceful falls by the force of a piety so ardent that even his backslidings now appear but as spots upon a sun. His varied experiences call out our sympathy and admiration more than the life of any secular hero whom poetry and history have immortalized. He was an Achilles and a Ulysses, a Marcus Aurelius and a Theodosius, an Alfred and a St. Louis combined, equally great in war and in peace, in action and in meditation, creating an empire, yet transmitting to posterity a collection of poems identified forever with the spiritual life of individuals and nations. Interesting to us are the events of David's memorable career, and the sentiments and sorrows which extort our sympathy. Yet it is the relation of a sinful soul with its maker, by which he infuses his inner life into all other souls, and furnishes materials of thought for all generations. David was the youngest and seventh son of Jesse, a prominent man in the tribe of Judah, whose great-grandmother was Ruth, the interesting wife of Boaz the Jew. He was born in Bethlehem, near Jerusalem, a town rendered afterwards so illustrious as the birthplace of our Lord, who was himself of the house and lineage of David. He first appears in history at the sacrificial feast which his townspeople periodically held, provided over by his father, when the prophet Samuel unexpectedly appeared at the festival to select from the sons of Jesse a successor to Saul. He was not tall and commanding like the Benjamite hero, but was ruddy of countenance, with auburn hair, beautiful eyes, and graceful figure, equally remarkable for strength and agility. He had the charge of his father's sheep 
not the most honorable employment in the eyes of his brothers who according to Ewald treated him with little consideration but even as a shepherd boy he had already proved his strength and courage by an encounter with a bear and a lion until david was thirty years of age his life was identified with the fading glories of the reign of saul who laid the foundation of the military power of his successors a man who lacked only the one quality imperative on the vicegerent of a supreme but invisible power that of unquestioning obedience to the divine directions as interpreted by the voice of the prophets had saul been loyal in his heart as david was to the god of israel the sceptre might not have departed from his house for he showed some of the highest qualities of a general and a ruler until his jealousy was excited by the brilliant exploits of the son of jesse on these exploits and subsequent adventures which invest david's early career with the fascinations of a knight of chivalry i need not dwell all are familiar with his encounter with the goliath and with his slaughter of the philistines after he had slain the giant which called out the admiration of the haughty daughter of the king the love of the heir apparent to the throne and the applause of the whole nation I need not speak of his musical melodies, which drove the fatal demon of melancholy from the royal palace, of his jealous expulsion by the king, his hairbreadth escapes, his trials and difficulties as a wanderer and exile, as a fugitive retreating to solitudes and caves of the earth, parched with heat and thirst, exhausted with hunger and fatigue, surrounded with increasing dangers, yet all the while forgiving and magnanimous, sparing the life of his deadly enemy unstained by a single vice or weakness and soothing his stricken soul with bursts of pious song unequalled for pathos and loftiness in the whole realm of lyric poetry he is never so interesting as amid caverns and blasted desolations and serrated rocks and dried-up rivulets when his life is in constant danger but he knows that he is the anointed of the lord and has faith that in due time he will be called to the throne it was not until the bloody battle with the philistines which terminated the lives of both saul and jonathan that david's reign began in about his thirtieth year first at hebron where he reigned seven and one-half years over his own tribe of judah but not without the deepest lamentations for the disaster which had caused his own elevation to the grief of david for the death of saul and jonathan we owe one of the finest odes in hebrew poetry at this crisis in national affairs david had sought shelter with Achish, king of gath in whose territory he with the famous band of six hundred warriors whom he had collected in his wanderings dwelt in safety and peace this apparent alliance with the deadly enemy of the israelites had displeased the people notwithstanding all his victories and exploits his anointment at the hand of samuel his noble lyrics his marriage with the daughter of saul and the death of both saul and jonathan there had been at first no popular movement in david's behalf the taking of decisive action however was one of his striking peculiarities from youth to old age and he promptly decided after consulting the urim and thummim to go at once to hebron the ancient sacred city of the tribe of judah and there await the course of events his faithful band of six hundred devoted men formed the nucleus of an army and a reaction in his favor having set in he was chosen king but he was king only of the tribe to which he belonged northern and central palestine were in the hand of the philistines ten of the tribes still adhering to the house of saul under the leadership of abner the cousin of saul who proclaimed ishbosheth king this prince the youngest of saul's four sons chose for his capital manaheim on the east side of the jordan 
ishbosheth was however a weak prince and little more than a puppet in the hands of abner the most famous general of the day who organizing what forces remained after the fatal battle of gilboa was quite a match for david for five years civil war raged between the rivals for the ascendancy but success gradually secured for david the promised throne of united israel abner seeing how hopeless was the contest and wishing to prevent further slaughter made overtures to david and the elders of judah and benjamin the generous monarch received him graciously and promised his friendship but out of jealousy or perhaps in revenge for the death of his brother ashahel whom abner had slain in battle joab the captain of the king's chosen band treacherously murdered him david's grief at the foul deed was profound and sincere but he could not afford to punish the general on whom he chiefly relied know ye said david to his intimate friends that a great prince in israel has fallen to-day but i am too weak to avenge him for i am not yet anointed king over the tribes he secretly disliked joab from this time and waited for god himself to repay the evil-doer according to his wickedness the fate of the unhappy and abandoned ishbosheth could not now long be delayed he also was murdered by two of his bodyguard who hoped to be rewarded by david for their treachery but instead of gaining a reward they were summarily ordered to execution the sole surviving member of saul's family was now mephibosheth the only son of jonathan a boy of twelve impotent and lame this prince to the honor of david was protected and kindly cared for David's magnanimity appears in that he made special search, asking, Is there any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him the kindness of God for Jonathan's sake? The memory of the triumphant conqueror was still tender and loyal to the covenant of friendship he had made in youth, with the son of the man who for long years had pursued him with the hate of a lifetime. David was at this time thirty-eight years of age, in the prime of his manhood, and his dearest wish was now accomplished, for on the burial of Ishbosheth came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, formally reminded him of his early anointing to succeed Saul and tendered their allegiance. He was solemnly consecrated king, more than eight thousand priests joining in the ceremony, and thus far without a stain on his character he began his reign over united Israel. The kingdom he was called to reign was the most powerful in Palestine. Assyria, Egypt, China, and India were already empires, but Greece was in its infancy, and Homer and Buddha were unborn. The first great act of David after his second anointment was to transfer his capital from Hebron to Jerusalem, then a strong fortress in the hand of the Jebusites. It was nearer the center of his new kingdom than Hebron, and yet still within the limits of the tribe of Judah. He took it by assault, in which Joab so greatly distinguished himself that he was made captain-general of the king's forces. From that time David went on, growing great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. After fortifying his strong position, he built a palace worthy of his capital, with the aid of Phoenician workmen, whom Hiram, king of Tyre, wisely furnished him. The Philistines looked with jealousy on this impregnable stronghold and declared war, but after two invasions they were so badly beaten that Gath, the old capital of Ashish, passed into the hands of the king of Israel, and the power of these formidable enemies was broken for ever. The next important event in the reign of David was the transfer of the sacred ark from Kiriath-Jerim, where it had remained from the time of Samuel, to Jerusalem. It was a proud day when the royal hero, enthroned in his new palace on that rocky summit from which he could survey both Judah and Samaria, received the symbol of divine holiness amid the demonstrations which popular enthusiasm could express. 
and as the long and imposing procession headed by nobles priests and generals passed through the gates of the city with shouts of praise and songs and sacred dances and sacrificial rites and symbolic ceremonies and bands of exciting music the exultant soul of david burst out in the most rapturous of his songs lift up your heads o ye gates and be ye lift up ye everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in thus reiterating the fundamental truth which moses taught that the king of glory is the lord jehovah to be forever worshipped both as a personal god and the real captain of the hosts of israel one heart alone says stanley amid the festivities which attended this joyful and magnificent occasion seemed to be unmoved whether she failed to enter into its spirit or was disgusted with the mystic dances in which her husband shared the stately daughter of saul assailed david on his return to his palace not clad in his royal robes but in the linen ephod of the priests with these bitter and disdainful words how glorious was the king of israel to-day as he uncovered himself in the eyes of his handmaidens an insult which forever afterward rankled in his soul and undermined his love thus was the most glorious day which david ever saw clouded by a domestic quarrel and the proud princess retired until her death to the neglected apartments of a dishonored home how one word of bitter scorn or harsh reproach will sometimes sunder the closest ties between man and woman and cause an alienation which never can be healed and which may perchance end in a domestic ruin David had now passed from the obscurity of a chief of a wandering and exiled band of followers to the dignity of an oriental monarch, and turned his attention to the organization of his kingdom and the development of its resources. His army was raised to 280,000 regular soldiers. His intimate friends and best-tried supporters were made generals, governors, and ministers. Joab was commander-in-chief, and Benaiah, son of the high priest, was captain of his bodyguard, composed chiefly of foreigners, after the custom of princes in most ages. His most trusted counselors were the prophets Gad and Nathan. Zadok and Abiathar were high priests, who also superintended the music, to which David gave special attention. Singing men and women celebrated his victories. The royal household was regulated by different grades of officers. But David departed from the stern simplicity of Saul and surrounded himself with pomps and guards. None were admitted to his presence without announcement or without obeisance, while he himself was seated on a throne with a golden scepter in his hands and a jeweled crown upon his brow, clothed in robes of purple and gold. He made alliances with powerful chieftains and kings, and imitated their fashion of instituting a harem for his wives and concubines, becoming in every sense an oriental monarch except that his power was limited by the constitution which had been given by moses he reigned it would seem in justice and equity in obedience to the commands of jehovah whose servant he felt himself to be nor did he violate any known laws of morality unless it were the practice of polygamy in accordance with the custom of all eastern potentates permitted to them if not to their ordinary subjects we infer from all the incidental notices of the habits of the Israelites at this period that they were a remarkably virtuous people, with primitive tastes and love of domestic life, among whom female chastity was esteemed the highest virtue, and it is a matter of surprise that the loose habits of the king in regard to women provoked so little comment among his subjects, and called out so few rebukes from his advisers. But he did not surrender himself to the inglorious luxury in which Oriental monarchs lived. He retained his warlike habits, and in great national crises he headed his own troops in battle. 
it would seem that he was not much molested by external enemies for twenty years after making jerusalem his capital but reigned in peace devoting himself to the welfare of his subjects and collecting materials for the future building of the temple its actual erection being denied to him as a man of blood everything favored the national prosperity of the israelites there was no great power in western asia to prevent them founding a permanent monarchy assyria had been humbled and egypt under the last kings of the twentieth dynasty had lost its ancient prestige the philistines were driven to a narrow portion of their old dominion and the king of tyre sought friendly alliance with david in the course of time however war broke out with moab followed by other wars which required all the resources of the jewish kingdom and taxed to the utmost the energies of its bravest generals moab lying east of the dead sea had at one time given refuge to david when pursued by saul and he was even allied by blood to some of its people being descended from ruth a moabitish woman the sacred writings shed but little light on this war or on its causes but it was carried on with unusual severity only a third part of the people being spared alive and they reduced to slavery a more important contest took place with the kingdom of ammon on the north on the confines of syria caused by the insults heaped upon the ambassadors of david whom he sent on a friendly message to hanun the king the campaign was conducted by joab who gained brilliant victories without however crushing the ammonites who again rallied with a vast array of mercenaries gathered in their support david himself took the field with the whole force of his kingdom and achieved a series of splendid successes by which he extended his empire to the euphrates including damascus besides securing invaluable spoils from the cities of syria among them chariots and horses for which syria was celebrated among these spoils were also a thousand shields overlaid with gold and great quantities of brass afterwards used by solomon in the construction of the temple yet even these conquests which now made david the most powerful monarch of western asia did not secure peace the edomites south of the dead sea alarmed in view of the increasing greatness of israel rose against david but were routed by abishai who penetrated to petra and became master of the country the inhabitants of which were put to the sword with unrelenting vengeance this war of the edomites took place simultaneously with that of the ammonites who deprived of their allies retreated with desperation to their strong capital rabba ammon twenty eight hundred feet above sea and twenty miles west of the jordan where they made a memorable but unsuccessful resistance it was during the siege of this stronghold which lasted a year that david no longer young oppressed with cares and unable personally to bear the fatigues of war forgot his duties as a king and a man for fifty years he had borne an unsullied name for more than thirty years he had been a model of reproachless chivalry if polygamy and ferocity in war were not drawbacks to our admiration certainly it is that no recorded crime or folly that called out divine censure can be laid to his charge but in an hour of temptation or from strange infatuation he added murder to adultery covering up a great crime by one of still greater enormity evincing meanness and treachery as well as ungoverned passion and creating a scandal which was considered disgraceful even in an oriental palace we read says south in one of his most brilliant paragraphs of nothing like adultery and a persecuted david in the wilderness when he fled hither and thither like a chaste doe upon the mountains but when the delicacies of his palace softened and ungirt his spirit then it was that this great hero fell by a glance and buried his glories in nocturnal shame giving to his name a lasting stain into his conscience a fearful wound nor did he come to himself until a child was born and the prophet nathan had ingeniously pointed out to him his flagrant sin 
he manifested no wrath against his accuser as some despots would have done but sank to the ground in the greatest anguish and grief then it was that david's repentance was more marvelous than his transgression offering the most memorable instance of contrition recorded in history surpassing in moral sublimity a thousand times over the grief of theodosius under the rebuke of ambrose or the sorrow of the haughty plantagenet for the murder of becket his repentance was so profound so sincere so remarkable that it is embalmed forever in the heart of a sinful world its wondrous depth and intensity almost make us forget the crime itself which nevertheless pursued him into the immensity of eternal night and was visited upon the third and fourth generation in treason rebellion and wars be sure your sin will find you out is a natural law as well as a divine decree it was not only because david added bathsheba to the catalogue of his wives it was not only because he coveted like ahab that which was not his own but because he violated the most sacred of all laws and treacherously stained his hands in the blood of an innocent confiding and loyal subject that his soul was filled with shame and anguish it was this blood guiltiness which was the burden of his confession and his agonized grief as an offence not merely against society and all moral laws but also against his maker in whose pure eyes he had committed his crimes of lust deceit and murder against thee thee only have i sinned and have done evil in thy sight what a volume of theological truth blazes from this single expression so difficult for reason to fathom that it was against god that the royal penitent felt he had sinned even more so than against uriah himself whose life and property in a certain sense belonged to an oriental king nor do we change ourselves says edward irving with the defence of those backslidings which david more keenly scrutinized and more bitterly lamented than any of his censors because they were necessary in a measure that he might be the full-orbed man to utter every form of spiritual feeling and if the penitential psalms discover the deepest hell of agony and if they bow the head which utters them then let us keep those records of the psalmist's grief and despondency as the most precious of his utterances and sure to be needed by every man who essayeth to lead a spiritual life for it is not until a man however pure honest and honourable he may have thought himself and have been thought by others discovereth himself to be utterly fallen defiled and sinful before god not until he can for expression of utter worthlessness seek those psalms in which david describes his self-abasement that he will realize the first beginning of spiritual life in his own soul should we seek for the cause of david's fall for that easy descent in the path of rectitude may we not find it in that fatal custom of eastern kings to have more wives than was divinely instituted in the garden of eden an indulgence which weakened the moral sense and unchained the passions polygamy under any circumstances is the folly and weakness of kings as well as the misfortune and curse of nations it divided and distracted the household of david and gave rise to incessant intrigues and conspiracies in his palace which embittered his latter days and even undermined his throne End of section 9